This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we talk about what it's like to be a Christian Monday through Saturday, to live as a person of faith in a culture against faith. All right, we're talking about sex for one last time. Yeah, I don't know how many episodes this has been, but... It's been quite a few. I think we did two on the image of God and sex and sexuality. We did two on purity culture. We did two on purity culture. We did one on porn. Yeah, so this is six weeks worth of sex. Six weeks worth of sex. Yeah, it's time. It's seven weeks, things become a habit. I mean, it's just time to move on to something else. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you guys are getting tired of this conversation, but it's an important one. It It is. And as I began to study the scriptures, not even about sex, um, I was just studying the scriptures for other things just related to sin and shame and being a human yeah. um, and trying to live a life of faith. I came across this in the text and it is like, you know, it's, it was almost like I'm looking at a big puzzle with just all these pieces scattered on the table. And I knew all, I knew all of those pieces independently, but I didn't know what picture it was going to paint because I didn't, I didn't have a frame. I didn't have a point of reference. I didn't have that one, the box. I didn't have the lid to the box. I could look at and go, okay, here's how it fits together. Here's what this all, here's how all this works. And I got this piece in reading the text of Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and realized like our image of God is tied to our sexuality. And it was like light bulb. I mean, just the puzzle just came fully to all these pieces of porn and purity culture and shame and, and all these things, this desire for sex, this, this hedonism that seems to be present in our culture that we always say is new, but we've got all these references in, in ancient writings like about Julius Caesar, that he slept with women for, for pleasure and men for power. Like just sexual immorality and hedonism is rampant yeah. through human society. Mm-hmm. And it just I had all these pieces of information, but none of it fit together perfectly until I got this piece about the image of God. Yeah, um, it... There's, there's some truth to that for sure. That that our, um, our identity is partially um, tied to fully our image of God, but a part of that is our sexuality. Yeah, I don't um, think the image of God is exclusive to right. sexuality, but I also think we're doing a disservice when we leave sexuality out. I mean, of fundamentally, the image of God. fundamentally, like. If God didn't want us to have sex, he would have made us without those anatomical parts. He could have made us like Ken dolls. Yeah. Yep. Um, there was a way to do it. Well, and if that, God is truly all powerful, he could have made us without those anatomical parts. Well, and I mean, to another extent, it doesn't look like God worked too hard to create Adam. No. Uh, or Eve, for that matter. And apparently, Adam healed up pretty quick because the narrative says, you know, he took a rib from him. Okay, I feel like that'd be pretty painful. I mean, I don't know. It's never happened to me, but <laughs> kind of feel like that's a big deal. But it goes to show that God had two different ways of creating humans. I mean, a lot of times I have a lot of mentors. I call some of my mentors father figures, mm-hmm. spiritual fathers. Sure. Why couldn't God have just done that? Yeah. Made up Adam and Eve, got them on the right path, you know, even if he let them sin, whatever. And then he says, okay, now we make up some more humans. 
Right. Like, now you train up these. Yeah. And then I'll make up some more, and they can train up those. Like, there were a lot of different ways that God could have done this. But he chose to give us sex and sexuality. Yeah. And, I mean, I think it's important in this conversation to go back to what we talked about in the very first episode. The first command we get from God. Be fruitful, multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. That fundamentally says so much. Yeah. Um, that we that God has designed us to have sex, and that is a very important piece of life. Yep. But thus, through all of these conversations about um, the image of God and sexual sin and purity culture and um, general sex things that are bad, yep. right? Yep. General sex things that are bad, yep. Um, God set up certain parameters. Mm-hmm. And why would you say that those parameters are there, in your words? Put me on the spot. Um, basically, what I would say is that God created your sexuality to be something that's wholesome and life-giving and decided to put parameters on it in a fallen and broken world because God didn't want you to experience any more brokenness than you already have. Yeah. That, that this was something that was supposed to be good, a blessing that was directly tied to your image of being made in the image of God and, and, and being loved I was having a conversation with someone yesterday and they were telling me, I just, I just want to be loved. I want to be valued. Mm. Um, and this person was like seeking that love and value in a one night stand. Mm. It's like, well, that actually that's not love no. at all. Um, that's going to make you feel used. It's going to make you feel, you know, not loved or wanted because you get this momentary release of sexual pleasure that you've you've made an image or a fantasy that it's love with what you're really craving is intimacy, yeah. and you're not going to get that just from sex. No. So the way I had it explained to me one time, and um, I loved this. It's really extreme, but, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Um, that sex without intimacy is just like going to the bathroom. It's just a release. Hmm. It's an extreme. Yeah. But it makes a lot of sense. I mean, even if it does get emotionally complicated as sex can be. Yeah. Um, without that intimacy, what is it really? Well, and, you know, we, we've talked about it a lot, but having sex requires you to be placed at your most vulnerable place. Yeah. Um, and you gotta, man, you gotta either really trust somebody to get to that place of vulnerability or you gotta be really struggling with self worth that your level of vulnerability required in sex is an afterthought to sex. Neither of which are wholesome, neither of which are life-giving, neither of which are what was designed by God. Yeah. And I was thinking about this too. We didn't talk about it very much. And 
I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here, but I also think this idea about our sexuality being tied to our image of God sheds a lot of light on the rampant sexual abuse that we see mm. in the world. Because people people are looking for something that's tied to their nature, yeah. but they're going about it in a very unhealthy way. And as they get farther away and the farther they reject God, the farther away they move beyond embracing that image of God. And so they go to the thing that they feel innate in them and take it to an extreme that's really unhealthy for not just themselves, but other people to genuine abuse. And, you know, if our sexuality is really tied to the image of God that we have, um, when we abuse it, we're abusing God. Yeah, I, I don't, yeah, I don't, well. I mean, in the same way that Paul talks about, you know. Your body is the temple. Right, and when you yep. sin against, you're sinning against the image of God, therefore, when you're abusing somebody else's sexuality, you're abusing God. Well, you're abusing God in your own right, defined that too as well. But you're, you're, you're robbing someone yeah. of their experience of the image of God as you abuse someone else sexually. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, that's a, a side piece I wanted to hit on, but you know, we haven't really talked about what God's parameters are for sex. No. And I think everybody knew it was coming. This is a hard conversation. It is a hard conversation because everybody wants to have sex. Sure. Um, and everyone wants to feel that intimacy and that experience of genuine trust and love to its fullest embrace of vulnerability, which is what, what sex is. Um, but there's also a reason that a, that a God who knows far more than I put parameters on it. Sure. I don't have all the... I don't think I know all the reasons, but I think I know enough to say, hey, God, my my experience of life with you, you haven't let me down yet. Maybe I need to stick with this one. Um, but so what are some of these sexual purity laws or rules as we talk about? Um, a big one is for Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, don't sleep with your stepmom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that's in 1 Corinthians 5. You can go read that story. Paul says, dude, even the pagans don't do this. Yeah. Like, I can forgive a lot of stuff, yeah. but even the pagans don't do this one. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, don't do not do that. <laughs> yeah. Stay away from family. Yeah. Uh, well, that's in the Old Testament. No right. incestual relationships. Uh, Leviticus details, you know, all kinds of ancestral relationships. Um, no, um, no prostitution. Yep. Paul's, Sexual exploitation. Paul's pretty clear about that. Um, especially when he talks in First um, Corinthians again about sleeping with the temple prostitutes. Yep. So that's a big one. Um, some more oh uh no orgies yeah mm-hmm. 
interestingly. Uh, and why do you think that is? Well, I mean, I think that that comes from a few different places, but the the one that my mind goes to the most is um, in that same way, it's really hard to have that intimacy with multiple people. Um, and you're being vulnerable and you're sharing your image of God with lots of people, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, more than just the one person that, that you have and share that intimacy with. Yeah, well, I think... That's a much deeper way of thinking. And I don't think you're wrong. I, mm. I think you're, you know, spot on. Um, but I also think just a really simple thing is like, you begin to struggle with your own image again, looking at other people, comparative, oh, yeah. seeing mm. other people, you, you no longer, right? You And then the additional shame of you having to be vulnerable in front of a whole lot more people. I mean, it takes, it takes a lot to feel comfortable enough with somebody to expose your nakedness to them yeah. in general. How much more is it to do it to six people, six, eight, 10, you know, whatever. And in Paul's day, some of these temple prostitutes and these, these acts of worship to these sex gods might be 30, 40 people deep in these orgies. Yeah. Um, and their experience of nakedness was, very different, right? I mean, you got the naked wrestling at the Greek gyms and things like, I mean, just very strange how they were about revealing their sexuality, but, and we're, you know, much more private with stalls in all our bathrooms and, you know, those kinds yeah. of things. Uh, very, very different, but. Dividers between urinals for guys. Uh, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, if you go to like a really crappy bar, there might be like one big, horse trough it's been turned into a urinal or something with but, ice all in the bottom <laughs> yeah yeah like kind of a weird deal but yeah yeah so no orgies um one partner and i think the other big one is, and this is the one that everybody's gonna i'm gonna i know i'm gonna hear about it in the comments that uh, or you're gonna text me about it in marriage mm -hmm. in marriage um i think the bible's pretty clear about premarital sex and that it's not the way to do it. And I've thought a lot about this. Yep. Because honestly, I there's a lot of crap in the Bible I wish wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's one of them. I, I don't know. I, I don't really care. I, I mean, if it were up to me, I would say, you know, if you're comfortable and that's your thing, maybe go ahead. Right. If, if that's how you want to do it, I don't, you know, if, if it's monogamous and you're in a you know, sacrificial, sacrificial relationship, you're committed to one another. Okay, cool. But that ain't what the Bible says. And we here at Wellhouse are a Bible believing church. We are Baptists. Um, and so, just to play devil's advocate a little bit, mm -hmm. where in the Bible does it actually say that? Well, Paul talks about it. Where? In 1 Corinthians. Where? All right. So after much deliberation, Clayton is correct. The Bible does not explicitly say that premarital sex is wrong. Um, I think we can get there 
by looking at all of these verses about sexual immorality, sure. especially Paul's word fornication. That's yeah. a big one. Um, and Jesus' statement about adultery. Adultery is having any kind of sex outside of marriage. Right. Or outside of your own marriage. Correct. So if you're yeah. not married. Sure. And then even Jesus' own deal about lust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I think I think if we put all of these together and build a theology of sexuality, mm-hmm. we can definitely get there, even though the Bible doesn't explicitly say yeah. premarital sex is wrong. That's why I brought it up though. Because that needed to be stated in a way that acknowledged the fact that it's not talked about. Right. In that way. Um, And that's a lot of that's actually a pretty common conversation um, that, you know, the Bible doesn't explicitly say that premarital sex is bad. It's something that you have to kind of put together from multiple places. Right. Well, truth Um, is the best. And I say it all the time. If we're building theology and positions off of one off verses, we're doing it wrong. Right. Excuse me. So. I think when you build all of this together, you can definitely get to a place where you say, yeah, maybe sex outside of marriage is not, not the way to do this. Right. Um, one man, one woman together, united, um, in marriage forever. And we get that image in Adam and Eve, Mm -hmm. right? Um, now whatever you want to do with that story and all the other ways that you can take it, but that's the way it was designed that it's two people together in marriage um, for this experience of sex as well as other things. And I think part of it is, is because it's a whole lot easier for me to be vulnerable with somebody. If I know if I'm confident that they're committed to me. Sure. Right. I mean that, that level of trust is amplified in that. Yeah. Now, the rebuttal to that would be, yeah, but in America, 50% of people get divorced anyways. Yeah. So, really, it doesn't give you any level of trust or comfort or commitment or any of that kind of thing. Fair point. But I would also say that I think the Bible is also very clear that divorce wasn't the original intent. No. I, God's not pleased with divorce. Yeah. Now, there are definitely moments where like if you're being abused or those like don't don't jump to the extreme to justify your position. Right. There are places where we can go, yeah, maybe it's time to get a divorce. By and large, most of the reasons that people get divorced Petty aren't stuff. good reasons. I mean, in so I worked at nothing a law firm. you can't work through in yeah. therapy. So I worked for I worked for a law firm for a long time and I work part time for them now. And like a hundred percent of the divorce petitions, they say the reason for the divorce is irreconcilable differences. What? What? No, you were a jerk. You didn't speak to your wife well. Mm. That's not irreconcilable. You just don't want to change, or you didn't you didn't spend your money well together. Those kinds of things. Like those are not irreconcilable differences. Yeah. Or you just didn't try to find a middle ground on something. Didn't try to find a middle ground. Yeah. Yeah. Compromise. Yeah. There are lots of reasons that someone can get divorced under the quote unquote irreconcilable differences. 
they're not irreconcilable. Yeah. They're just not. If you believe in marriage, you fight for marriage. Yeah. And at that point, there's nothing that's not irreconcilable. And you fight for your marriage. And so don't use the divorce thing as the caveat that's like, oh, well, if me and my best friend get married, you know, on the same day, one of us is getting divorced. So it really doesn't give us any extra level of commitment. Um, just because that's how it's playing out, that doesn't mean that that's how God intended it to be. Right. God wanted that when you got married, you were in it to win it. Sure. And in an in it to win it mentality for marriage, you do have a commitment. You do have that place where this is a safe space. And, and so it's a whole lot easier for you and, and, and me or whoever to be vulnerable in sex when it's with when it's someone that you know is committed to you and not going anywhere yeah um with your forever partner right exactly so i think you know nobody wants to hear that especially if you're single yeah right you're single nobody wants to hear that but let me say two things number one as i preach all the time around here at wellhouse there's grace for everything that's right. Don't don't take what we're doing here as me shaming you mm-hmm. if you're currently in a relationship that's not marriage and having sex. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying that in a perfect world, this is what our experience of sexuality would be like. Yep. Now, I'm also not so naive to say that we don't live in a perfect world. I know we live in a broken and a fallen world and life is hard. Um, And lots of times sex is very comforting for people. I I get it. But my job as the pastor is to say, here's what the biblical standard is and here's what we have to hold ourselves to. So I'm not shaming you. There's grace for that. Um, I would say maybe you should stop. Like that should be a goal of y'all together is that you can experience intimacy in ways outside of sex or in Paul's term, if you can't control your lusts, get married, (laughs) get married. Um, So that, that is so strange. That does seem to be Paul's caveats. Like I wish none of you would get married, but if you can't stop having sex, get married. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of a weird deal there, Paul, but um, It, it genuinely seems like the only reason for marriage for Paul is sex. At least in that text. Yeah. Now, in other texts, Paul's like, no, this reflects Christ's love for the church. It should be sacrificial, you know, all these things. But, yeah, at least in that text, it does appear that Paul's just like, eh, just get married if you want to have sex. (laughs) (laughs) So It's so strange, but I do think it's funny. It is funny. But, anyways, we, I wanted to. I'm sorry. I just thought about this meme. Um, one of these Christian meme pages that I follow that are so cringy, but some yeah. of them like are like one off, like really funny. You remember the the flex tape commercials? Yeah, yeah. Um, there was one. It was a big um, tank of water that was leaking and yeah. it was spewing water, and it it said lust over the top of it, and then young Christians. What flex tape? <laughs> <laughs> marriage? <laughs> yeah. That's funny. That is funny. Um, so anyways, uh, I, I wanted to do this series because sex and sexuality is rampant in our culture. And that's because it's, it's tied to who we are. 
we're yeah. made this way to be sexual beings and creatures. Um, but because it's inerrant to our nature, there's a lot of ways to get hurt in trying to embrace our sexuality. And we just need to be careful. We need to understand that, yes, God made you this way. Yes, God wants you to have an experience of intimacy and love. But there's also a reason that there's parameters on it. And it's because this is something that's supposed to be wholesome and life-giving for you and your partner together. That that this union, that this experience of vulnerability and melding your sexualities together is the perfect image, according to Paul, for Christ's love for the church, that that the two become one flesh and that this is the closest experience that we can get to the Trinity, that there are three but one, and yet we are two but one, that our sexuality is tied to our image of God and it is our duty as Christians to live in the fullness of our age.